This morning's gospel is the first public miracle of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. It's his first miracle in the gospel of Mark. And I've made a bit of a point over these last number of weeks about talking about firsts as your new rector. It's kind of fun to experience a first, something new and different. And I'm sure Mark was no exception when he was writing his gospel, as he thought long and hard about how he remembered Jesus or how he heard about Jesus and what he was going to put as the first public miracle that Jesus would do. Chapter 1, we're only in chapter 1 in Mark. And so we look and we see what do we encounter this morning as Jesus' first public miracle? We encounter an exorcism. Thanks a lot, Mark. I would much prefer to go over to John's gospel where we have Jesus turning water into wine at a big, big wedding banquet. That sounds much more fun than having to deal with an exorcism to start off our gospel with Mark. Now, so we're gonna talk, that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm sorry. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't arrange it any other way. I need to offer a preface, though, before we jump in to the text except itself. Because when thinking about exorcism, this man who has the unclean spirit, there, there are kind of a couple of different roads we could go down. And scholarship and the history of interpretation have set, up, set us up with a couple of highways of interpretation, very popular roads we could go down. And I'm telling you today, we're taking a detour. We're not going down these two popular roads. The first popular road, I'm sorry to disappoint, is to go and try to explain away the possession. To say that the possession is something other than spiritual possession. Say it's mental illness. Say it's some other thing that symbolizes a problem the person is having. There's a sermon in there, but we don't have time for a two-for-one today. So you're just, we're not going down, road's closed. The second highway of interpretation that we could go down is to, to double down on the spirituality of the problem. It's to say, you know what? It is, an, it is a demon possessing this person, and we're just going to talk about demonic possession. We're going to go and talk about exorcism and the spiritual ins and outs of that and, and make it all about the spiritual matter at hand. We're not doing that either. I'm really sorry. You're disappointing you left and right. It's not just a spiritual matter. There are cultural, there are institutional, there are hierarchical matters that we're going to need to undertake here. So the task at hand is not to go down either of our tried and true roads, but to find the detour. And by taking the detour, my hope is that we will undergo an epiphany of some sort, which is Uh, the season we're in, where we're trying to understand something about who Jesus is that we haven't picked up already this season. Okay? Try to understand something about who Jesus is that we haven't picked up already this season. So, to begin, we have to look for Mark at where and when this is happening. This exorcism is not just happening in the village. It's not happening in someone's house. It's happening on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Now, Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and this is exactly where Jesus should be going. It's like coming to church on Sunday, right? Or watching on live stream. Great to see you all through the lens. But but here's the thing. Uh, Two things happen. First, Jesus walks into the synagogue, and he does something interesting. He starts teaching. Um, You all are here. 
You could come up here and start teaching if you'd like. It would be a little weird, though, if you came up and just started teaching in the pulpit if you weren't scheduled to preach. But if you'd like to, anyone? No? Okay. So that's a little strange. People, though, they allow it. So, you know, whereas if one of you came up, maybe there would be some commotion, the verger, you got your stick, it's ready to go. Not here, not in this synagogue, not on this Sabbath. They allow Jesus to keep talking, and they actually end up listening to him. And the second thing that's a little strange is that the demon possesses the man in the synagogue. It's a very strange place to get possessed. You would think that if you come to church, you're kind of safe from demonic possession. You can come here, and you're, you're going to get possessed out there at night, scary times, things under the bed, all those times in the woods, Blair Witch Project style, where you're going to get possessed. But when you come to church on a bright, sunny Sunday morning, this is safe. And so it's very weird that this demon is speaking up now. Clearly, clearly there is a problem with Jesus being in the synagogue on the Sabbath. But why? Why shouldn't Jesus be in the synagogue on the Sabbath? What else is going on here other than just a spiritual possession. Now to answer that, I I have to deviate a little bit. I've got to give you a fictional scenario, a fictional story. Most of you who have heard me for a couple weeks now, you know that I like to tell stories, and most of my stories are, are tried and true, they're real, they happened with my family or my friends, and and that's good. I smooth them out a little bit for time. But other than that, they're real. This story is not real. I've made this up completely, and it's a little bit bonkers. So just hang on, hang on for a second. I need you to imagine that you've gone to the bank, but not the drive through ATM. You've gotten out of your car, and you've gone into the lobby, and you're waiting in line to talk to the teller, and there are a bunch of other people in this bank. Behind you, you hear the front door open, and you hear murmuring, and you hear people start to gasp. Turning around, you see a man walking through the door, a man who is wearing black sweatpants, a black sweatshirt, and a black skiing mask that is covering the features of his face. Your heart starts to race, of course, because you know what's going on. This man is about to rob the bank. He's a bank robber. You don't see a gun, you don't see any weapons, but you imagine You're sure he's armed and dangerous. Of course he's armed and dangerous. You think, why else would he be wearing that scary-looking mask coming into the bank? Is he going to destroy me and this bank? You think, preparing yourself, trying to find the closest exit. But then he starts to talk. He doesn't say freeze. He doesn't say, put your hands where I can see them. No. He begins to talk about interest rates and market performance. I can get you 30 or 40% in the market, he begins to tell the woman behind you. I've actually earned more money in my investments last year alone. I have billions invested, you see, and I would love to help you get more out of your money. What is going on here, you think? This guy sounds more like Warren Buffett than like Babyface Nelson. And then something weird starts happening to you as you hear him talking to a different person in the bank. The more you start listening, the more sense he is making. And the more sense he is making, the more more you begin to actually trust 
this masked man who you don't know. Maybe it's a Ponzi scheme, you think, but then he, he starts getting out his portfolio and showing you he's invested in real companies that have done really, really well, 30, 40, 50%. And that makes you start to think about your own money that is sitting behind the vault in this bank that is so safe. Your money that's only earning you 1% interest. Why is my money here at this bank when this guy is making many, many exponentially times that? Now you're actually thinking about talking to this masked baron about your money. Strange, I know. But when you think about Jesus entering the synagogue, he's kind of like the masked bank robber. He's got more religious authority than the authority in the synagogue itself. Remember that the rabbis are teachers and that many of the religious leaders were teaching. So when Jesus comes in and he begins to teach, he does so with an authority that people hadn't seen before. They're amazed at the authority and the know-how that he presents. But by doing it, by teaching in this particular way, Jesus becomes a threat. He becomes a threat to the religious establishment. Careful. His very presence in the temple asserts authority that is in conflict with the Pharisees and the other scribes and religious leaders. And so when the unclean spirit comes and possesses this man, he speaks not just with the voice out of the spiritual realm, not just the voice of demons or, or the demonic or Satan, but, but he speaks, the possessed man speaks also out of the religious authorities' mouth of the time. He's speaking for them in a certain sense. Are you here to destroy us? The unclean spirit asks, including not just the spiritual realm, but the religious realm too. Jesus' answer, be silent and come out of him. The masked man in the bank is a threat only from the perspective of the banker, whose livelihood is being undermined on his own home turf. But to the rest of the people in the lobby of the bank, this is starting to sound like good news, where I can get a lot more bang for my buck. Part of what Mark is doing as an author here is setting up the conflict. He's setting up the conflict that Jesus is going to be embroiled in his entire ministry, both spiritually and temporally. Jesus ends up on the cross in Mark, just like he does in every other gospel. And Mark wants you to understand why from the get-go. There are no sheep and and, and stillness of nights, there's no star, it's just right in. Mark has no time to waste. Last weekend, Father Derek did an excellent job. He's, on, he's finishing a vacation, by the, way, by the way, much earned vacation, so keep him in your prayers today. But he did an excellent job of unpacking how Jesus calls us into community. Father Derek argued that Jesus sees us, he meets us where we are, and he invites us to follow him to a vision that is longer or larger than ourselves. Father Derek unpacked the fishing, the calling of, of the fishermen, right? 
This week, Mark Mark's Jesus builds and locates that beloved community that he is forming in the middle of a corrupt, broken, and violent world. Because Mark believes that Jesus' way and Jesus' community holds the key to unlocking peace. Jesus' way and community holds the key to unlocking peace. But it is not a way that is free from danger or from suffering. In fact, Jesus' way and community is forged in the center of the lion's den. We've heard this story before. We're part of this story now. And what it tells me about Jesus is that we are called into beloved community not not to create and occupy some separate world from the world, not to, not to cast ourselves out and be isolationists, but, but rather as an alternative to the world located in the world. We're in the world. We're in the marketplace, in the bank, among the crowds. We're in seats of power. We're on thrones of wealth. We are citizens of the most powerful nation on earth, We are consumers as part of the largest economy there is. And that's exactly where Jesus wants us to be, right in the midst of it all. But here's the thing. Don't confuse it. We're to be in the world without being part of it. We're not of the world. We're to be with Jesus as he subverts the powers and the principalities of this universe and as he restores all things to their rightful state. Jesus' community is one rooted in justice and in righteousness, one where we respect the dignity of every human being. It is the kingdom of peace where lions and lambs lay down together. But that is not where Jesus' kingdom begins. It begins here and now. It begins here on Seabrook Road in sunny Tequesta. It begins in an election year that few of us could have imagined. It begins with almost half a million people dead in Ukraine. It begins where deaths in Gaza climb every day. It begins where terrorist organizations and countries want to eradicate whole groups of people. It begins where children are starving to death. Jesus walks into those places that are hard, to be with those people who are at the margins. And the communities which Jesus forms around himself walk there too. As we journey with Jesus, we are called to be in the world, but not of it. We are called to be rooted in justice and righteousness, respecting the dignity of every human being. Our beloved community begins here and now in our local context, amid abundant complexity. Jesus builds that community and walks into the places of suffering, injustice, and despair, and he invites you and I to walk there too. Be of good hope. You don't go alone. He's right there beside you. And by following him, 
By reading Mark and trusting this Jesus who, who calls us to be fishers of people and then calls us into the heart of the situation, in doing so, we become agents of peace too. Carrying the transformative authority of Jesus into every corner of our own lives, of our own communities, and into the world all around us. Amen.